on Gateway. It's gatewaychurch.org.nz. I want to take a couple of Sunday nights, not sure how many, maybe two, max, max three, and talk about the subject of, of grace. Before I get underway, I want to acknowledge uh, particularly a couple of sources, well, one particular source, um, James Ryle, who was here a number of years ago, probably 10 plus years ago, became a significant figure in my understanding of of the word grace, and uh, I just wanted to acknowledge how much input he's had into my life on this subject and some of the material that I'll be sharing with you. Um, certainly has its genesis and, and material that James shared with, with, with us. I suspect that if you've been a Christian longer than five minutes, you have heard the word grace used. Uh, for those of us who've been around in Christian circles for any length of time, grace is an incredibly common word or concept. Um, all of us are very familiar with what we say at mealtimes, and we call it grace. Who's going to say grace this evening? You know, and, and somebody, you know, everybody will put their hands on their forehead, and somebody will be picked to say grace. And, and in that context, grace is a, con, a, a synonym for the word thanks. And actually, it's, it's used that way in the New Testament. So it's, it's not a, a wrong use of the word in Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Paul says, thanks be to God. And the word thanks is the Greek word charis, from which we get the English translation, the English word grace. Uh, we just sang before a, a variation of um, the famous slave trader become pastor, John Newton's wonderful hymn called Amazing Grace. Uh, if, if you had to pick a hymn that would be a na- national anthem for Christendom, that would certainly be in the top three or four hymns that would be chosen to be that anthem. Uh, Grace is a very common word in the New Testament. It's used at least 131 times in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is sometimes called the Apostle of Grace. He uses the words nearly 100 times, 20 times in the book of Romans, 11 times in the book of Ephesians. He begins and ends most of his correspondence with a salutation that includes the word. He often starts by saying grace and peace to you, or finishes off by saying the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So it's a very common word, a word we're all familiar with. The experience of many of us is that we assume we understand the word because we use it often. But when actually pressed, what does that word mean? We struggle to actually come up with a coherent meaning. Well, you know, it's what we do, it's what we sing. I've heard it spoken about a lot, but... But but what does it mean? The most common meaning, the most common definition you'll find in Christian circles for the word grace is that grace is the unmerited favor of God. How many people have heard that? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's God being good and kind to us, even though we don't deserve it. And uh, I'd like, I'm not seeking to be controversial, but I'd like to say to you, as common as that definition is, I actually think it's somewhat mistaken, or at the very least, uh, somewhat limited, and it reflects only a very small portion of of what grace is. With that view in mind, grace is the unmerited favor, I'd like you to ask a question and maybe think about it. If grace is the unmerited favor of God, how does it differ from another concept that we're familiar with called mercy? What's the difference between 
the unmerited favor of God, which is grace, and mercy, which is God giving us what we don't deserve. Are grace and mercy just two ways of saying exactly the same thing? Actually, what I'd like to suggest to you, and I'm going to labor this point, okay? I'm going to spend all of tonight on this point. And uh, if you don't get it by the end, it won't be because I haven't tried to pump it into your head because I haven't really got another point. It's this point, okay? That mercy is actually closer to the meaning that we usually attribute to grace, that it's actually mercy that's the unmerited favor of God. And when we use the word grace, more often than not, it seems to me that we mistake it for mercy. How many of you have read Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace? Okay, I recommend it to you. It's a fabulous book. And I, I, I love Philip Yancey's writing, but, but I humbly would suggest that it actually would be better called What's So Amazing About Mercy. Because actually, if you read the book, it's all about God's forgiveness, God being merciful to us, and how we then should take that forgiveness and be merciful to other people in our lives. And as I say, it's a wonderful book, but, but I'm not sure that it actually tackles the idea of grace. I think it talks about the idea of mercy. I think mercy means that God withholds from us what we deserve and he gives to us what we don't deserve and that, by any definition, is unmerited favor. So if, as I suggest, mercy is actually closer to unmerited favor, what is grace? If grace is unmerited favor, as we've been told, why is it given to the humble and withheld from the proud, because grace is absolutely unmerited, if that definition of true. It's given without any kind of earning. But those two passages suggest very, very clearly that grace is actually merited by, mercy, by, by humility. And uh, if that's true, then the definition grace is the unmerited favor of God simply doesn't stack up in terms of the common definition. What about Galatians chapter 5 verse 4, where it talks about if you go down the road of religious legalism, you fall out of grace. Question, how can you fall out of something that's given to you in an unmerited fashion in the first place? It's given without strings attached, and then suddenly by religious legalism, you can fall out of it. What about Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15? Looking diligently lest you fail of the grace of God and lest a root of bitterness spring up. Again, how is it possible to fall short or fail of something that's given without strings, without measure in the first place? If grace is unmerited favor as we've been led to believe, then it seems to me that these passages say something different. Grace is merited by humility. It's possible to fall out of it. It's possible to fall short of it. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 40. This is talking about Jesus. The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the unmerited favor of God was upon him. Now question, does it ring true to you to say the unmerited favor of God rests on Jesus? Now if that passage was describing me or you, then it would completely be understandable and acceptable. But how does that fit with the sinless Jesus? The unmerited favor of God on the sinless Christ. Again, that seems to me to stretch that defini definition somewhat out of, out of what I would understand that passage to mean. And, and you can do this with a lot of 
passages in the New Testament. John chapter 1 verse 14, the word became flesh, tabernacled among us. We beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of unmerited favor and truth. Again, if, if that was speaking of a, of a sinful human being, we would say, wow, the unmerited favor of God is upon that person in a real fullness. But of the sinless Christ, the unmerited favor of God, that to me doesn't resonate. Some people like to define grace as God's riches at our expense, and they, at Christ's expense, sorry, and they make it an acrostic, which is easy to remember, God's riches at Christ's expense. And, and I, I don't have any major problem with that, except that for my liking, it's, it's a little bit vague. And I want a definition of grace that gets to the heart of the concept and it seems to be biblically consistent. And, and you can read into passages like this the definition and the whole passage makes sense. James Ryle defines grace as the empowering presence of God that enables you to be what God has created and called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And I'd really like to recommend that definition to you. The empowering presence of God that enables you to be what God has called you and created you to be and to do the things that God has created you to do. Bill Gothard describes and defines grace as grace is the desire and the power that God gives us to do his will. In both of those definitions, the, the, the emphasis shifts from unmerited favor to actually the power of God. Not, not so much the mercy, but the power of God working in our lives to achieve his purposes. In, in this kind of thinking, grace isn't so much a kind of gift from God as it is God himself, the gift in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, his empowering, indwelling presence that enables us to be everything that we're supposed to be. And when you take those definitions, that definition, and you go back over the passages that we've looked at, suddenly they sound different. He grew in spirit and the grace of God, the empowering presence of God was upon him enabling him to be all that God had purposed that he should be. He was full of grace and truth. He was full of the empowering presence of God that enabled him to be what he was supposed to be and to do what he was supposed to do. Suddenly, instead of this jarring, unmerited favor resting on the sinless Christ, we are talking a power of God's presence that rested on him, making him be all that he was supposed to be. And, and to me, that definition fits much better than unmerited favor. And when the scripture talks about humility attracting grace and pride repelling it, when it talks about falling from grace or falling short of grace, when you use this definition, it makes sense in a way that unmerited favor does not. And it's fascinating to go through the New Testament with this definition and wherever you find grace, read in the empowering presence of God that enables us to fulfill all of his purposes. And what you'll find is that consistently it fits and it doesn't cough up these anomalies that we end up with if we use the unmerited favor definition. What I want to do is to take you through a number of scriptures that just show you the inextricable link between grace and this 
concept of power. We're not thinking of grace as unmerited favor now, but the empowering presence. Let's, let's look at these from the book of Acts. The apostles gave witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ with great power and great grace was upon them all. Power and grace, inseparable words and concepts, and they company together because grace is the power of his enabling presence. Look at this one. The hand of the Lord was upon them, or was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord, and the, Lord, and the word was heard in the ears of the church of Jerusalem. This is talking about what happened at Antioch. The, the disciples, or the apostles in Jerusalem, heard that God was doing something significant in Antioch, and, and it was described as the hand of the Lord was on them. So Barnabas goes there, and it says, They sent out Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who was glad when he'd come, and he had seen the grace of God. And he exhorted them with a purpose of heart to remain near to the Lord. The hand of the Lord is a proverbial figurative phrase that's used to describe the power of God. Barnabas comes down because they've heard the report, the hand of God is upon them. Barnabas comes down, sees what's happening, and he describes it as the grace of God. Sees the same thing. He sees the power of God on a company of people, and he describes it as, wow. The grace of God is upon these people. And again, you see the inseparable link between the idea of God's power and the idea of God's grace. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, the way translation says, For the grace of God has displayed itself with saving power to all mankind. How does this grace manifest itself? In power. Not unmerited favor, but grace linked with power. Look at Acts chapter 14, verse 3. Therefore they stayed a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, giving miracles and wonders to be done by their hand. Paul preaches this word of grace, this word about God's empowering presence, and God confirms the message by manifesting that empowering presence in signs and wonders. And as you go through, you see this incredible link between grace and power. And again, let me just emphasize it, I think that grace is not about unmerited favor, that's mercy. Grace is about the empowering presence of God in our lives, enabling us to be all that we're supposed to be and do all that we're supposed to do. And that grace has touched our lives profoundly. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7, Paul writing to the church there says, but to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now this passage, along with a number of others in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10, for instance, tells us that when the ascended Christ rose to heaven, he gave gifts to every member of his body. Everybody who's a Christian, the Bible says, have been given gifts by the ascended Christ. And with that gift, with those gifts, he gives a measure of his grace. That's his empowering presence that enables us to fulfill the calling that are wrapped up in those gifts. That simply does not make sense if you substitute unmerited favor. But to every one of us is given unmerited favor according to the measure of the gift of Christ. It, it, it jars. It doesn't make sense in the same way that it does when you say, God gave gifts, and with those gifts, he gave his empowering presence so that all that he intended we do and be can be achieved. Let, let me, if I may, just tease this out a bit for you. 
God has given us, as you go through the scripture, there are a number of things that the Bible says have been measured out to each believer by the ascended Christ. He went to heaven and he took all that he was and gave it to the body of Christ. Like Paul talks about us being a loaf of bread that has been broken up. And as we come together in a corporate sense, we each bring our peace and we assemble the loaf. Without your peace, something is missing. Christ has given gifts to the body of Christ. All that he was, he has now taken and distributed by the Spirit among us. And the Bible says that he's given us a number of measures. The first measure is that God has given to each of us a sphere of service or of authority. Let me read to you a passage. This is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Paul's writing to them, and he says this, But we will not boast beyond measure, but according to the measure of the rule which the God of measure distributed to us to reach even to you. He's saying, God has given us a sphere of authority, and you are included in it. Okay? Um, to reach even you, for we do not overstretch ourselves as though not reaching to you, for we also came to you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond measure in the labors of others, but having hope that the growing faith among you will be increased according to our rule, to overflowing, to preach the gospel that is beyond you, and not to boast in another's rule in things made ready. He said, I have a sphere of authority that God's given me and you're included in it. I'm not reaching beyond my sphere. Let me read it to you in another translation, making it more clear. This is the Good News Bible. As for us, however, our boasting will not go beyond certain limits. It will stay within the limits of the work which God has set for us, and this includes our work among you. And since you are within those limits, we were not going beyond them when we came to you, bringing the good news about Christ. So we don't boast about the work that others have done beyond the limits that God has set for us. Instead, we hope that your faith may grow and that we may be able to do a, a much greater work among you, always within the limits that God has set. Paul's talking about a sphere that God has given him and saying to the Corinthians, you fit within it. I'm not working it in the sphere that God has given to others, but you're in this and I'm coming to you within the sphere of my authority and service according to the call that God has laid on my life. Now, Paul is not unusual in the sense that, I mean, he's an apostle for sure, and you might say, well, I'm not an apostle. That's true. But it's true that each of us have been appointed a sphere of service, a sphere of authority. Just as ancient Israel were given the dimensions of the land before they went into it, and God very clearly told Moses, and Moses told Joshua, your land stretches from this place over to this place, over to this place, and you can read it in numbers. It's outlined geographically. And he says, this is yours. And it's a big land, and it's a good land. Go in and possess it all. You know, the tragedy of Israel was that they never, ever pushed out to their full potential. They reached the largest potential under David, the worshipping warrior. But even then, they never fulfilled all of their potential. And one of the travesties of the Old Testament is that God appointed this huge sphere and Israel never fulfilled their potential. Ever get a report where the teacher said, he's got more potential than he's showing at the moment? Or something along those lines. Well, Israel could have had that report from God. There's more potential than they are fulfilling at the moment. 
They are falling short of what they are capable of. And just as Israel were given the dimensions of a large land, each of us have been given dimensions for our lives. And God's saying, fill it out. Go right out to the edges. Don't let it be said of you when your report card comes up on that day, great potential, but never fulfilled it. Never swelled out their lives to take up all of the land that I intended to give them. So number one, God has given a measure of authority, a sphere of service, as it were. To go with that, he's given to each of us a measure of faith. He hasn't given you a large land and then said, best of luck. He's given you a large land, a measure of authority and and commensurate with that measure or sphere of authority, he's given you a measure of faith. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, I say through the grace given to me, there's that word again, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So there's a measure of authority. To go with that, there is a measure of faith. God has given to each of us a measure of giftedness. This relates to the measure of faith and to the measure or sphere of authority. See, God called Paul to be an apostle, gave him faith to believe for that and gifts that measured his call. All right, Gave him apostolic gifts that would mean that everything he was supposed to do, he could do. It says in Ephesians 4, we read it, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So we have a sphere of authority. We have faith to fill that out. We have giftedness that's commensurate with our call. And then lastly, it says God has given to us a measure of grace. His empowering presence that enables us to move in those gifts, to move in that faith and to swell out to the very boundaries of all that he's intended us to be. Let me diagrammatically give it to you. A measure of grace, a measure of faith, a measure of giftedness, a measure of authority. And the purpose of God is that those lines would swell right out to become one line and that we would fulfill his purpose for our lives. There's a call on your life. He's given you the faith that's required to step into it if you'll activate it and walk in it. He's given you the gifts that you need to be fruitful within that sphere And then beyond all and undergirding all, his empowering presence in your life will enable you to be all that you're called to be and to do all that you're called to do. That's what the New Testament teaches. Let me me just kind of wind toward an end with with some other scriptures that you're familiar with. Very well-known passage where Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's talking about the things that God has showed him. He said, God took me to heaven, effectively, uh, and and he said he showed me things that I I can't even begin to talk about because it's just illegal at this point in my journey, and and I can't say anything about it. And then he goes on to say, and by these surpassing revelations, lest I be made haughty, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be made haughty. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power. Note the link. My grace is sufficient for my power. It's almost like he's using those words as synonyms. He could use one or the other. 
My grace is sufficient, sufficient for you, for my grace is made perfect in weakness. Or my power is sufficient for you, for it is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weakness that, that the power of Christ may overshadow me. Now, if, if the definition of grace is unmerited favor, Paul's facing this incredible difficulty in his life and recognizing that there's a purpose in it. And if God is saying to him, look, I know you're facing these significant problems, but my unmerited favor is towards you. Now, if I was Paul, I would say, Lord, that's nice and it's comforting, but it doesn't actually help me face the problem because I'm facing a problem. And to know that your unmerited favor toward me uh, is toward me, that, that's comforting, but in the midst of my problem, it doesn't provide an answer. But if you read it, yes, Paul, you are facing significant issues, but my empowering presence in you is enough. And it will be more than you need to be all you're called to be and to do all you're called to do, then it changes the whole context of that. This isn't just a nice word that makes me feel good but doesn't take away my problems. This is God saying, listen, my power is enough for the difficulties you face. And I'm not taking away the difficulty, but what I am going to do is release a power that is sufficient for you. In fact, more than sufficient for you. This gives real hope. And once again, in this passage, you have the idea of grace and power inextricably linked. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, Paul has been talking about a, a power, a power that has brought the whole world under its sway, and the power that he's talking about is sin. And he talked about how, in Romans chapter 5, how man got into that position where they are dominated by this powerful principle called sin. And he talks about Adam's failure and so on. As the chapter winds to an end, he says, but the law entered so that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So that as sin reigned to death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now again, if, if the word grace means unmerited favor, then on the one hand, Paul's talking about this phenomenal power of sin, and then he says, but grace abounds. And, and you cannot help but then read that passage as, sin does its powerful work, but unmerited favor will cover up and clean up our failures. That, that's kind of how that passage reads, if you put in there unmerited favor. Now, God does that, of course. He, he does clean up our failure. But I think grace is more than just a cleanup agent. What he's saying is there's this power operating, but by virtue of what Jesus has done for you and for me, there is, another, there is now another power operating. And as powerful as sin is, grace even more abounds. This is talking about two powers. Not one power and a cleanup agent, but one power and a superior power, the superior power of grace. This passage is about the clash of two powers, one much greater than the other. If we allow sin to dominate us, then it isn't about submission to a power that is much greater than us. It's actually about acquiescence to a power that's much weaker than what we have happening in our lives. And suddenly we are dealing with a travesty. It's an insult 
when we give way to a lesser power, it's an insult to God's grace working in our lives because he says, my power in you is greater than that. And you don't have to keep doing that if you don't want to. Grace isn't just about, I'm sorry you're under this power, but I'll clean up after you and my unmerited favor will get you through. It's about you don't have to keep going down that road because I have put a power in you that is greater than that power. Changes everything. One more scripture, then I'll stop. People say, I don't believe that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Paul again. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace, which was toward me, has not been without fruit, but I labored more abundantly than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. If you read unmerited favor into this passage, then I'd suggest there's nothing like the impact that you'll have if you read the empowering presence of God. But by the empowering presence of God, I am what I am. And it is, it's his empowering presence that was toward me. And it's not been without fruit. It's actually produced because it's a power that does. I labored more abundantly than them all, yet not I, the empowering presence of God within me, enabled me to do all that I've done, and it's enabled me to be all that I'm being called to be. Now, I've really labored this concept tonight. I mean, I've spent all the time from start to finish saying, grace is not the unmerited favor of God. It's actually the empowering presence of God in our lives that enables us to be all we're supposed to be and do all we're supposed to do. And you could say, Don, you could have said that in three minutes flat and sent us home. And I could have. But hey, I wanted to keep you here for a while. Now seriously, what I wanted to do was labor the point and make you go away and think about it. Because for so long, we have simply been in the groove of grace is the unmerited favor of God. By grace, you are saved through faith, and it's the unmerited favor of God. By the empowering presence of God working in our lives, we are saved. Saved isn't just something that happened to us way back then. Saved is past, it's present, it's future. Paul said, we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. We are being delivered from the power of sin. We will be delivered from the presence of sin. And what does that is not so much that it's the mercy of God, although, of course, it's based on that merciful covenant. God reaches to us in mercy. But what it's about is his power, empowering presence in us. And, and, and the reason I've labored it is I think when you have bent something into a certain shape, you, just, you can bend it back out, but its natural tendency is just to flick back. And the natural tendency of our thinking will be to flick back into an unmerited favor unless I can somehow sort of impact it and make you stop and think, wow, I need, I need to think about that. If you want to go back to unmerited favor, then go through the passages and fit in and work out the anomalies. How can humility merit God's favor if it's unmerited? How can I fall from something that's given without any danger of there being a falling or fall short of something that's given to me with an unmerited measure? That those, that you have to think through those things. What about Jesus, the unmerited favor of God on the sinless Christ? It does not seem somehow to resonate in the way that the empowering presence of God does. Think about it, okay? And... Um, I'll try and develop the concept a little bit over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to ask the musicians to come back, and I'm going to get you to stand with me, and I want you to sing with a whole new understanding, Amazing Grace.
How sweet the sound that's working in a wretch like you and me. <laughs> okay, let's stand together, shall we? Would you just lift your hands? I just would love to speak a word of benediction over you. So if you would open your hands and just receive it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May the love of God our Father and the grace, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in your life that enables you to be all that you're called to be and do all that you're called to do, that flows from our Lord Jesus Christ and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be yours today and all the days of your life. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, updates, or resources, head to gatewaychurch.org.nz.